welcome back, everyone, to Out of the Maze. John, how are you? Mm, how do you like that music? Boy, yeah. That's an entrance. That inspired me. <laughs> Here's Johnny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we right. are back uh, out of the main. You can, of course, find us at out of the main dot com. Look us up on the Facebook, the Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Even YouTube. Now, I noticed our Jay Graden interview is approaching 4000 views. So people are digging on that. People like Jay. Yep, they sure do. Everyone's got a fun comment on that, too. It's well, good for, just for the comments. <laughs> you don't remember back when we were younger, we still quote those movies from the 70s and 80s, whether it be Stripes or Caddyshack, you know, uh, those great quotable movies, uh, Bachelor Party. Jay is a amazing quotable person. Yes. I could drop Jay Graden quotes all the time now. It's out of phase, <laughs> man. <Yeah. laughs> yep. Oh, uh, well, so what was with the uh, glitzy glamour music? What do you got here? Well, this it's round two of Who Wore It Best? And this ah. is where we have found some songs that have been done by multiple artists, all within kind of a very short time proximity and all sort of era appropriate and often yacht rock appropriate. So we're not taking a song from 1975 and comparing what somebody did in 2000 with it. This is more like so-and-so put out this song in 1977, but this guy also did it in 1978. And we want to compare the approaches of these songs and try to come up with at least our opinion of who wore it best. Yep. Hey, we're going to do that three times on this episode. Um, yes. Yeah. So, well, who should we invite to the red carpet first? Well, I think we should start with, since it seems like their songs are covered within this short proximity of time more than any other artist. And I'm talking the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie yeah. Brothers have, whether it's the Pointer Sisters covering their tunes or Carly Simon covering their tunes, they just their tunes kept popping up and popping up. So we're going to start with Echoes of Love. And uh, that was uh, written by Patrick Simmons, uh, Willie Mitchell, who is a trumpet, jazz trumpet player, I guess, and someone named Earl Randall. I don't know. But we have Echoes of Love by the Doobie Brothers, and we also have it as recorded by the Pointer Sisters in 1978 off their Energy album. So Doobie Brothers had it on Living on the Fault Line, 1977, and then 1978 Pointer Sisters. So which one do you want to hit on first? Hmm. So we step and repeat with uh, you. You pick it because this was your selection. What do you think is All the right. what establishes the baseline? I guess I think the one that establishes the baseline, since it was a hit for the Doobie Brothers, that's the one. So let's start and uh, knock out a little of that and give us our thoughts. Let's listen. <laughs> It's an interesting, uh, to me anyway, it's an interesting sound for them because I don't dive deep into the, and I know this isn't a, this was a hit, but I don't dive deep into that Living on the Fault Line album as much as probably you did. Yeah, I think I at one time called that kind of a Steely Dan album for them. It was prior probably to my full understanding of Steely Dan, but what's great about that album is it has some super hits on it, but it also has a lot of the more fusion or jazzy exploration stuff that we know that Skunk Baxter was really into. So you get a very broad, very deep 
listen out of that album. But this is the one of the big pop hits off of it. And Patrick Simmons singing the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, while we're at it, uh, what's kind of interesting on this one, I'm going to jump to verse two to also lay the groundwork because on verse two, it's kind of interesting because Patrick is singing part of the lead and then he's getting answered by other voices. So the second verse is being carried by multiple voices. Let's listen to that to have that in our memory banks as well. So the, it appears as though the call and answer singers is like I say, Patrick first, and then it looks like it's uh, Taran Porter and Keith Knudsen probably. I think my, I don't hear Michael McDonald in there. I hear him heavy on the choruses, but I don't hear him in the verse there. So that is sort of their approach. And um, what do you got? Well, can we play a little of the chorus? Because what jumped out at to me is just how much Michael McDonald does not jump out to me. Is he's there? But it's not like still you could tell they haven't identified that we're going to go this direction yet. Right. Yeah. Let's well, let's just listen and then you can come. The vocals, so they feel a little bit like the peg stacks on there. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to point out, just the way the song is established, because uh, we'll come back to it when we hear the Pointer Sisters version, it's got like a very synthy open, which we already heard. Yeah. And then, yeah. But that's countered with a very like Americana guitar riff offsetting, you know, kind of it's weird juxtaposition to me. It was like good old boy, uh, probably Baxter against the synthiness of I'm guessing McDonald. And it's like, hmm, those they're not competing. They're complimenting each other, but it's just interesting sort of, I don't know, soundscape to me. Yeah. We'll get to that when we talk about the intro of the Pointer Sisters, because I, I had that. One thing I did notice as it ties to that is when the drums do come in, uh, they're like electronic Simmons drums, the Tom Phil. Yeah. I, I never noticed before. <laughs> it's not even Simmons. It's like something that predates that. And then even though the song kind of drives pretty well, the snare drum is real small and weak. It sounds like it's barely being hit. Exactly. It was just an interesting sound palette. I was just like, hmm. I guess, and I couldn't make a judgment on it. It just was interesting. It, to me, not yeah. very yachty, but not that we're here to talk about that. From a but. dynamic standpoint, it goes to more spaces than we'll see on the Pointer Sisters version. That intro starts off, and almost as to your point, it builds up in layers. It establishes this, and then it adds this, and then it, things come in. And then as we get later on in the song, prior to the final choruses and fade out uh, and the bridge, it completely breaks down to nothing and then rebuilds itself for the fade out. So it it takes up more of a climb to a top and then completely drops down and then climbs again. So the range from top to bottom is greater than what we're going to find in the Pointer Sisters version. Well, should we hear a little bit of uh, how the Pointer Sisters version opens? Yep, let's hear that intro. 
So my takeaway on that was they were trying to replicate what the Doobie Brothers did on their intro. They had all the parts, but they didn't really exactly. They don't sound to me like they feel like they got it. Right. Like they're trying to replicate it, but don't really understand the feel. And by the time the band kicks in, it, it goes, it goes nice. But that intro feels like, ooh, this is not really coming together yet, is it? Well, they've got, to me, it wasn't like the acoustic piano sort of driving things with, with synths in there. Yeah. Um, so, again, an interesting layer of sounds, but I agree with you. It wasn't all, like, jiving for me. I'm like, hmm. It just didn't, it felt, I don't know, not sloppy is not the word, but maybe just not completely, like you said, maybe not tightly wound as it should be. But when it kicks in... You know, the, the groove definitely is strong. I like it. Uh, it. You know, we're fighting against the fact that we know what the original was and that that is so embedded into my head. But I thought that the energy level that the Pointer Sisters brought was good, particularly in their vocals, which, again, going to your what you were just saying, they're not all that tight. They're kind of singing group unison, kind of loose. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this was sort of just... Uh, I hate to say mailed in, but recorded as with the knowledge that it was just going to be an album track, but it doesn't have all of the polish that I would have expected from a Pointer Sisters release. Agreed. I had that same note about the vocals. You've got the three people in there, but it's well, here's what's interesting on this album, though, um, in, in the personnel on this song. So you've got James yeah. Newton Howard, right? Yeah. Um, you've got Steve Picaro on synths. Yep. Um, let's see, uh, who else is on here? There's, uh, David well, Hungate's on bass on this album, but not this song. This is Abe Laboreal right, on bass. Uh, yeah, Abe Laboreal on bass. Jeff Percaro is the drummer. Yep. Uh, Lenny Castro. players are, uh, yeah, Freddie Tackett, which, uh, from Little Feet, and Davey Johnstone from the, uh, Elton John band, and he's the one that takes the solo. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Whoa. I wasn't blown away by the solo, were you? No, I you was want, not. Let's hear it a little bit. All right. like now correct me if i'm wrong there's no guitar solo on the recorded version of the dewey brothers right no it's like a synth kind of breaks down yeah 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 so i mentioned i don't know if you heard me but letting uh, castro's on percussion on this tune so it's like they got some yachty personnel but somehow it just doesn't all feel hey it's not yachty to me anyway it just doesn't feel real real tight or polished agreed I want to add one other thing, since we're not really using it as a point of comparison. The live version that was uh, from their sort of, what was it, their uh, Farewell Tour album, which is a really good live record. It's really well recorded. I don't know how live, quote, it really mm-hmm. is, but it's an excellent record. Uh, and they pr- pretty much, the Doobie Brothers perform it just like the album version, the, with the exception of the ending, which, of course, the, the original song fades out, so they had to come up with an ending. So let's just check out their little uh, vocal break ending. that was nice i thought it was cool too um i did uh have this one entering the ring or at least walk okay. the red carpet and i've got let's hear jeff baxter on this version the live version we've got baxter on a lead and to me this feels right
Now, is that Pat Simmons still singing uh, lead there? I would think so. What makes you think that it's Baxter on the lead? Did you check out the video? I thought I saw that that was mentioned somewhere. Okay. Uh, okay. I could be Maybe wrong on that. Um, somebody's playing a guitar lead, though. And this whole version, I think, has the most energy, the most oomph, um, which I guess you could be expected from a live performance. But this is my favorite of the three. So I don't know if this is disqualified because it's not a recording, but. Uh, this, well, I, I like wasn't going to disqualify it. I just didn't think it was night and day different. But if we want to, let's okay, let's put the three up there and uh, let's rank them. I would say, for me, despite some of the sonic things that we sort of criticized, I like the studio version of the Doobie Brothers version. I, I, it's one of those things where if I listen to the individual pieces, I'm like, what's that? Why are they doing this? Well, you know, <laughs> I can find something wrong with all the individual pieces, but the sum of it, I love. Okay. So I'm going to go with that one by a nose. All right. I'm going live doobies. Okay. Then I'm going uh, studio doobies. And then I'm asking the Pointer Sisters. Um, oh, who, no, don't, do, don't. Who doobie doobie? What is it? <laughs> ah, you did. I can't even say it. Which doobie you be? Which doobie you be? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's how I rank them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All righty. Well, then uh, I think we should move on to song number two, which was uh, by request from you. Yes. Uh, Michael Johnson and Bill LeBounty. You said we got to do a, a Bill LeBounty thing because Michael Johnson has covered a lot of Bill LeBounty tunes. Well, they actually wrote some together, which is the case on this one. Yes, exactly. So um, some of the this night won't last forever. All right. They, yeah, he did that one. Of course, we know the better version of that one is August Reds. Um, Dance, Dancing Tonight, which is the one we're going to do, right? Right. Uh, Drops of Water, also on the, uh, what's it called? What's Rain in My it? Life. Rain in My Life, yeah. yeah. Uh, 25 Words or Less, Trail to Your Heart, which is, has the parenthetical Nyati title, Sailing Without a Sail. Right. And I thought somewhere at some point I heard Michael Johnson do a version of A Tear Can Tell, but I can't find it anywhere. Well, we're going to do Dancing Tonight. But what, what's with that? I mean, he's making my uh, bromance with Bill Abani pale in comparison. <laughs> That's like, well, maybe you need to do a little bit of digging and see uh, how they connect. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds like homework. Yeah. All right. Where do we start? Do we want to start with this? I'm going to request that we start with Bill LeBounty only because that, to me, the Bill LeBounty established the baseline because that was the first one I knew of. And there's a reason I want to start with that one. Is that okay with you? All right. We'll start there. But I will say before we do, it's kind of funny because the first version of this I heard was the Michael Johnson version. So that becomes the baseline for me. But let's begin where you want to begin. Go ahead. All right. So Michael Johnson's came out first, too. So 78 okay. versus uh, right. Bill Abani, 79. Um I, I could be leading the witness here. But uh, well, let's start with here's how Bill Abounty's version starts out. Yeah, Bill Schnee would love that. Remember he <laughs> talked about that? Well, that that drag snare thing that yes. on the snare, that is a cool, cool groove. And that is an excellent example of what the drag snare 
sound is that Bill Schnee talked about way, way back. Yep. And this is, uh, this is, I think, classic Bill of Bounty and vocal style too, which is atypical of yacht rock. It's not super smooth, right? But there's like there's some there's some bitterness in there. There's some torment in there. Don't waste time. Yeah, the whole, in general, I'd go through periods where I struggled to listen to La Bounty because the mood that it imparts into me is not something I want to feel. We've had this discussion about other genres of music, but I can't, I can go to that 1982 album and hear all the yachty goodness, but it's not long before I start finding myself dripping into his little depression. Mm, Interesting. So I don't find myself saying, oh, I got to hear some La Bounty right now, because I know it's going to sort of bring me down a little bit. (laughs) Not me. Um, But this album does not feature the typical yachty uh, suspects. Uh, however, one not thing... Not at all, right? No, not at all. It's all different guys. Like, the one note that I had that this song has that we will not find in the Michael Johnson version is sax of any kind, in particular, a sax solo. So I'm like, oh, let's find out who did the sax solo. Do you know anything about uh, Jim Gordon? Yes. Okay, What's how would I know Jim Gordon? Well, I could be speaking out of class, but I know Jim Gordon, the drummer. Could this possibly be... Uh, the same guy, just Jim Gordon, the Ooh. drummer, also play sax. If it is, that's what I always thought, but I could be way off on that. So oh. this is this is how we do podcasts that are technically live, <laughs> even though we, even though I yeah. edit them later. We don't fix our mistakes. You're you're you guys that are listening are learning along with us, and if we're wrong, we're wrong. We're not we're not here preaching it. We're learning it. Well, sometimes we uh, throw flags. It's been a while though. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll have the flag ready there for um, But so I, this is uh, one of the advantages of this version, which we'll come back to. And um, the other thing that I note in this one that is not, it's going to be different in Michael uh, Johnson's version. I like these little like bass pops he does throughout. Yes. Uh, have a listen. Don't be late, that moon is right. All that neon is hypnotizing. Even in the real quiet sections, the, yep. the bass pops play a significant role in sort of ending the phrase and bringing it back to the top for the next phrase. It's like it's setting the stage. Um, it seemingly would be out of place. You would say, why would you be popping there like that? But yeah. again... It in when it's not in the other version, I do miss it, but I don't. It doesn't mean the other version's lacking because I come to find out. You pay attention to the bass line in the Michael Johnson version, and you're going to be Ooh. some pleased. Yes. All right. So, anything else on the bounties? Other than the fact that it, because I had the ground laid by the Michael Johnson version, this felt very. When it starts off slow like that, because obviously the dancing tonight lyric leads me to think something more up tempo. I know he's probably juxtaposing that, and that's the point in Labounty's mind, but it feels very somber to me. And then we're going to go now here to the Michael Johnson version and the groove that he establishes up at the top. I think this is a fabulous groove.
I had the exact same thought. I was like, now a song entitled, you know, dancing tonight should feel more like this than the drag that we just heard a minute ago. Yeah. I love the, uh, overdubbed Tom fills in there. This really helps to set the groove, but you go into your point about the bass. It's the bass player does. I mean, I, I would have sworn it was somebody like Hungate or something. I said, yeah. I got to know who that bass player is. And I looked up the personnel on this and almost nobody I recognize either. Jack Williams. But do we know who he is? Do you know who he is? Not really. He was a drummer with Jim Gordon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but Labounty is playing the piano on this one. That's kind of interesting. Yep, exactly. So they were actually obviously pals. Michael Johnson wasn't just ripping his uh, crib sheet. But um, yeah, this one, I went into it thinking, okay, how is anybody going to outdo Bill Labounty in my eyes? But right. this one just grooves, feels way better. That bass line, I don't know how much you can hear on, uh, you know, depending on what you're listening to this podcast on. But let's just play, take any snippet you want, John, and let's just try to focus in on the bass here. just touches the surface it's it's uh, groovy but it's also lyrical it's got these slides it sets up the next phrase it's just so well done yeah so i mentioned at the outset all the times that michael johnson quote unquote covers bill of bounty songs because i don't know if that's necessarily accurate description of this um almost always i expect to like the michael johnson version far less yeah, went into it thinking I was going to as well, and in this, the Michael Johnson version to me blows away the Bill Abani version. I agree with that too. I, I love this Michael Johnson version. The um, the Bill thing again, it just feels a little too somber for this. I wonder if, when, and we've talked about this with Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald when they're writing a song together, or even the Who's Right, Who's Wrong, Richard Page, Kenny Loggins, do they? When they're writing it, are they writing it with a production thing in mind? So did they have a disagreement, let's say, mm. on opinion on whether this should be a slow song or a fast song? Because eventually the Labounty thing does go into to up tempo, so it starts in halftime. But do they have a disagreement? And they say, well, okay, you do it your way, I'll do it my way. Or wh- what is it? How, how do they end up writing a song together and each approaching it so entirely differently? Yeah. Have you ever written a song, though, where you've got like maybe two approaches and you're like, dang, they both work, but for different reasons. It could have been that, not even a disagreement. It's like, we kind of like both. Well, you take yeah. one, I'll take the other. I don't know if I've ever had that on a song I've written. Because I often, when I'm writing a song, I hear the production as as yeah. I'm writing it. That's that's why I asked that question. Yeah. Do you hear, you know, because to me, that if you're thinking about the melody and the phrasing, the, uh, how much lyric do I need? How many words do I need? What's the phrasing going to be like? I always feel like you need to know what the song's going to feel like to do that. But maybe not. Everyone has their own approach. All right. So we both agree then that uh, Johnson in a clear winner. Yeah. We'll, we'll let the winner have a little more runway here. Let's just play a little bit more as we segue into our final matchup. Farewell, Michael. Yes, farewell. Fare thee well. We'll be back. <laughs> All right, final song on the list is kind of a, I guess I was going to say a deep cut, but it really isn't because it was released as a single by Olivia Newton-John. But uh, we have a song called, well, Olivia Newton-John called it Tied Up. 
And your buddy, Lee Rittenauer, called it tied up parentheses in promises. Is that why he's my buddy? Because he used the parenthetical title? Yeah, I was going to say, is it automatically going to be a Living Newton-John just because he has the parenthetical? Or are you going to have an open mind about this? Nope. Ahoy, polloi. <laughs> Wait. Ah, just kidding. Uh, I'll have an open. I'll have an open mind about. <laughs> All righty. Which one you want to so, start? So, where do we start? Well, then let's go with written hour. This was, it's got uh, Eric Tagg on vocals. Yeah. And this was actually co written. The song was co written by John Farrar, who is Olivia Newton John's producer and at least one time husband, and then Lee Rittenauer. So uh, that explains why it ended up in both camps, I suppose. Yep. Rittenauer's was produced by, uh, from 1982, written uh, or produced by Lee Rittenauer and Harvey Mason, drummer Harvey Mason. Yet the song is very. Heavy, heavy drum machine. It's a DMX drum machine. Eric Tag on vocal. Nathan East, though, bringing the bass. John Farrar and Michael Boddicker. Well, so listen to... So according to my notes, Lee Rittenauer is credited with the synth, the OBX drums on that. Mm-hmm. So he programmed that, apparently. I guess so. Um, and Nathan East is credited on bass. But let's hear it. And I'm like trying to figure out where's the real bass in this. Do you hear it? Maybe you have a better ear than I do. Let's hear some. I don't really hear it. Could it be that uh, Nathan East played the synth bass? I don't know. Well, he's credited on another tune on this album of playing synth bass. And this is just, I'm just going off the Discogs, which has the most complete listing of personnel that I could find. Yeah. It's got Nathan East on bass on this track, but synth bass on a later track. So who knows? I could be. I just don't hear any real bass in there. No, I don't either. Now that you say that. My summation of the song is it feels very mechanical and robotic to me because of all the synth, but that could just be me. It feels like it never quite gets going either. Agreed. Yeah. I feel like it's established as something and you're waiting for the next thing to come in and it just never does. <laughs> I know. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, going back to what we had said earlier about um, the Pointer Sisters, maybe this one was simply a filler track. Could have been. I don't know. I hate Could've to say been. that because I, th- I think that, that that's always a negative thing to think that anybody is producing songs just purely to be filler. But this one feels like filler. Yeah. Um, but I'll give I just have to go through this. this. If you're a Yacht Rock nerd, the personnel on this record. So just I'm going to rattle off some names. Lee Rittenauer, obviously. Bill Champlin, Abe Laboreal, Neil Steubenhaus. Those are your bass players with Nathan East. Um, Carlos Vega on drums. Jeff Baccaro on drums. John Robinson on drums. Greg Matheson on piano. Um, Larry Williams on uh, flute. Eric Tagg, you mentioned, right? Don Grusin on keys. Greg Fillingame on keys. Uh, Harvey Mason is playing percussion, as is Paulina DaCosta. Uh, it just goes on and on. It's like, holy smokes. Umberto 
Gatika. Gatika, yeah. recording and mixing. Like, that is a Yacht Rock album right there. Uh, but and the reason I bring all that up is because, oh, and Richard Page, too, is on vocals. This is Steve George. Oh, my God. Did you know all yeah. that? Okay, you did. Kind of. Uh, but then you get this track, and it's like, you don't really hear any of that stuff. You don't hear any of that. <laughs> I, people that listen to this podcast probably already know, and maybe we've mentioned it a zillion times, but the Rit and Rit 2 records are, I think, essential Yacht Rock records. They're not every song is perfect on it, but I think they're essential listens for the genre. This song, again, feels a little mailed in. <laughs> Here's my note. Don't find it all that interesting. <laughs> so anyways. <laughs> all right. You mentioned Ferrar. That's just a nice segue into, what do you know about this Olivia Newton-John version just at a high level? At a high level, I know that it was originally released as one of the two new tracks on her Greatest Hits Volume 2. So it had two new tracks on it that were both released as singles, the first one being Heart Attack and then this one. So it was released as a single. If you look for it now, they have it lumped in with the expanded or deluxe version of Physical. So whether it was recorded in and around the time of the Physical sessions, I don't know if they just figured that's the best place to put it. But this was uh, released as the second single, 1982. To me, sonically, it's a more interesting mix. It still has the sort of drum machine bass to it, but it has at least the live drum uh, tom stuff on top. So that that's a nice touch, number one. And I think they do more with it, particularly vocally. I think she does a lot more with it than Eric Tag did. One of the sound textures that jumped out at me was the um, rhythm guitar. It's not Paul Mutes, but it's a plucked electric that just adds something nice, I think. You can hear that here. And then the other thing that the song features that the other one does not is saxophone by one Tom Scott. I wasn't able to find that uh, Tom Scott was the sax player on that. So good digging on that. Good. Well, he's credited with horns uh, in this, but this goes back to, the track listing on at least on Wikipedia is somewhat confusing because it's there's like two ver- song 12s because there's a double, then there's a um, the expanded version, then there's uh, the reissue yeah. of the expanded issue. But it says Tom Scott on horns for this song, and there is sax on it. Um, but let's as long as we're comparing album personnel, uh, I didn't realize how much personnel was on this album this uh the physical album is that the one you're looking at yeah so if we assume that it came out of the physical sessions then exactly which also had steve lukather michael boddicker yeah uh, david hungate carlos vega lenny castro <laughs> victor feldman a lot of the guys that were playing the other tune or the other record anyway so uh if you ever wondered if onj is yachty well there you go at least credit uh yeah that song wise. probably isn't yachty but um no not at all it, it starts it's sounding like the end of the yacht era the gate on that snare drum, I think it's excellent. I think it sounds fantastic, but it is certainly not a sound that I would tie in with Yacht Rock. Now we're getting into Chicago, Stay the Night, 
territory, which I I love that sound, but right. And I, I loved it at the time. Then I soured on it and it's, I'm starting to love it again. <laughs> so, well, I think Owen J is a clear winner on this one. Yeah. Not even, well, I was going to say not even close. I'm going to say not even close. Yep. They win. Let us know what y'all think. You're not nuts about either of them though. Are you? Not really, to be yeah. honest. Um, but definitely, I do find more interesting in the ONJ version. So I think they were going for something more interesting production-wise on that. They were, you know, they were going back to the gated snare drum. I think they were trying to see what the next sound is going to be. I think a better example would be the other track that she had on that. And we might as well pop in a little bit of that just for the, the sonics of it. And this is Heart Attack. I, I think that was a great song from there, but uh, you were going to wrap it up. So go ahead. No, I was just going to invite people to tell us who their winners were. Uh, if you know these, uh, what do we cover? Six tunes or six versions? Three songs of- and six versions. Well, if you, seven, if you count the live version from the doobies. Yeah. Let us know who uh, won each. And uh, we will go on to uh, the 11th round of this b- uh, bout, which is the lightning round. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sort of like the 19th hole. We grab a beer. <laughs> oh, wait, we, we can grab a beer. Hold on. I'll be right back. Yeah. All right. All right. Now I'm set. Ah, uh, yes. All is right. 10 a.m. too early to have the, your second beer? Your second? No. <laughs> okay, good. No. All, All right, right. Here we go. Found at sea, but I have my variation on found at sea. I kind of threw this term out a while back and, and just it was meant to be funny. But now I figured out how to actually utilize the message in a bottle. So this would be a situation where maybe we post something online and we get the responses. So we've sent out the message and the bottle returns, right? Okay. So my found at sea is going to be a message in a bottle. I had asked people which they thought was the... I think I framed it as Yachtier. Um, to me, Mark Jordan has two undeniable classics in the genre. He has more other great songs in the genre, but his two sort of signature songs would be Marina Del Rey. Living in Marina Del Rey. Man, you And margarita. Now, they come from different ends of his catalog, at least in the Yacht Rock years. So Marina Del Rey almost has a more of a proto sound. And uh, Margarita comes from the later, more rockin' album that he did. But the question was, which one is the more essential Yacht Rock song? And of course, 
I guess immediately everyone's going to go to the score and say which one was scored higher, but that's not really what I was asking. Right. That was the question I put out there. Which one is scored higher? Do you know? Margarita is scored higher. Yeah. And I I didn't get a single vote for Marina Del Rey, which really surprised me. Everybody across the board, Margarita, (laughs) hands down, no question, case closed. So I don't know how much of that was just reading the, the rankings and not putting any thought to it, or if... That's just the yacht of your song. What do you got? What do you think? I think it's definitely the yacht of your song. I think Marina Del Rey is too on the nose to, uh, in terms of being Marina rock. So I think it, more so than Margarita, you know? Yeah. I think um, that's what it came down to. There's some hippity hop in Margarita that isn't in Marina Del Rey. It's just Agreed. straightforward, you know, l- love them both. And it's maybe our listeners or followers are more sophisticated than you give them credit for because the production of Marina Del Rey is nothing. Compared to, and remember, it was who, who's the producer? It was like uh, Gary Katz. Gary Katz. Guy, yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. I can't disparage him at all, but you've got. Um, it does have the dreaded uh, steel drums in there, too, which most people are forgiving of because it's Mark Jordan and because it's considered a Yacht Rock song. But yep. That well, should be an automatic no no, shouldn't it? It should be. Yeah. But yeah. they're both in my playlist. So. Okay. Well, what's your found at C? So I'm going to go to the viewer mailbag. Uh, we've got uh, Peter from Sweden writes us. Uh, I got to start where he started because he says, hello. First of all, I want to thank you for a great podcast. Did he get the email wrong or something? Well done, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's how you get on the show right there. Right. <laughs> I would love if you talked about one of the best West Coast slash Yacht Rock elms of 2022. This is Riding the Wave by Miles. So this is maybe even have Miles on the show, uh, which we didn't have time to do. Uh, this is right before Christmas. Merry Christmas, Peter from Sweden. So uh, you're familiar with this album. Before I uh, submit a song, what are your thoughts on it? Now, don't let this sway you. There's a song on here called "The Fool." So, oh wow, I mean, there you go. Just trying to, yes, I, I automatically ten points, ten free <laughs> points for using the word "fool." All right. Um, well, he suggested the title track "Riding the Wave," which okay. is the uh, first song. But I'm going to go with a tune further down. This is called "Need You Now." So interesting about a few of these songs in this record, uh, they they give a credit to something called the hooligan horns. Yeah. So we talked about the muscle shoals. So hooligan horns must be uh, UK's version of the muscle shoals horn section. Or it's a great or name, isn't it? Hooligan it's horns. Awesome. It's even got yeah, the alliteration, everything. Wow. So it's definitely modern yacht as opposed to what I think, say, page 99 is, which is a new uh, or contemporary take on the original yacht song, yes. which is different to me. I think there's two schools of thought there. I think there is. And this is definitely what I would call the modern yacht because he's intentionally using some things that maybe wouldn't point back to that era. And sonically, I mean, yeah. yeah. Like I think state cows is more of the, here's a uh, 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 contemporary take on the yacht rock sound. Whereas Indeed. I think like young good silver Fox is a modern sounding version of yacht rock. Indeed. Even though they are completely vintage in their approach, which that, they are uh, going right. back to that thing that surprised us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So that's uh, now for my, Buried Treasure. The original concept of Buried Treasure was a song that you forgot you forgot. Oh, good. Um, I like these. 
Do you remember the artist Rex Smith from the 70s? I remember him from, what, Solid Gold. Didn't he take over as the host after Marilyn McCoo, I think? So, Maybe. I, I, yeah, I, I can picture him as a host on a TV show. <laughs> yeah, I think he was... Or was just he just a regular by- performer? I, I, I think he was like a poor man's Sean Cassidy or something where they were trying to make him like a yes. pinup boy. Oh, no slash. question. No doubt. I totally forgot about this tune, but do you remember when you hear this song? Does it come right back to you? Here's You Take My Breath Away. For you, you take my breath away And I don't know what to say Cause you take my breath away Yes. Uh, I would, again, I never would have been able to peg that as Rex Smith. I don't think I could have come up with the name Rex Smith. I could I could probably picture, going back to your Sean Cassidy thing, a sort of pretty boy face, Andy Gibb or something like that on a cover of a record, but I don't think I ever could have come up with Rex Smith. You could have described everything about that song, everything about that artist, and I would have looked at you blankly like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Literally no idea. And then you play the song, <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> good tune, though. Not Yachty, necessarily, but just a good tune from the era, 1979. From the era, for sure. Just, yeah. All right, what do you got for buried treasure? Well, my buried treasure is the uh, what we mentioned, uh, Randy Goodrum recently. So I went digging into his uh, Fool's Paradise album, and because it's got Fool in it, of course, and that's the one that everybody points to a lot as having a lot of yachty goodness, particularly people that uh, know how into Jeff Percaro I was. They said, oh, you got to check out Percaro's work on this album, too. Mm. So this is Randy Goodrum. This is produced by Elliot Shiner. This song is sort of a... It's a ballad, but to me, it's a prototype of what a yacht rock ballad can look like. It has enough of a groove. Jeff Percaro, Steve Kahn on guitar, Neil Jason on bass. Now, I always associated him with being Michael Frank's bass player, but that barely mm. scratches the surface of everything that he's done. So that is something worthy to look up is the catalog of Neil Jason. But uh, this is Randy Goodrum from Fool's Paradise. song is called We're So Close. Yeah, that's a, that's a great tune. That's I would have Randy Goodrum's another one. That's a name I wouldn't even been able to come up with before I got into yacht rock, and now it's everywhere. But that song sounded very familiar to me, and I don't know if it's because I've been hearing it a lot within the last three years, or it triggered something from my past that I didn't realize it was there. So that might be, you know, something I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, he's an incredible songwriter. To me, when he records, he reminds me a lot of Michael Franks and his vocal delivery. It's the verses mm. are barely tonal sometimes or half spoken half sung and then the beautiful harmonies on the choruses and provides a nice dynamic shift there that instantly went into my uh, yachty playlist but as a quick update for you last week you mentioned cool and the gang as one yes that was good enough to make it into my list by the way even though i thought it was too r&b just <laughs> thought you might appreciate that oh yeah all right so off the map what do you got well, last week I mentioned a song that Lee Rittenauer did, and I called it sort of um, could have sounded like a Lost Toto track. Well, I got another one that's sort of a Lost Toto track, and this one was written by James Newton Howard, 
Robert Lamb of Chicago, and Steve Lukather. Now, Dang. this is from Chicago's 18 album with 1986. So we're post-yacht era, definitely post-yacht sound. Uh, this was engineered and mixed by that Humberto uh, Gatica that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't have track-by-track credits on this. I do know on the album, this was uh, produced by David Foster. He plays a lot of the keyboards. Mm-hmm. Guitar players listed on the record because at this time, Chicago didn't have an official guitar player. But the guitar players that Foster used on the album were Buzz Featon, Michael Landau, and Steve Lukather. So I'm gonna, who, who knows who it is on this one, but I'm assuming Lukather is at least one of them. And this is a almost power pop tune from Chicago 18 called Over and Over. It belongs in your power pop list, dude. Well, let me do it right now. I should uh, consult with listener Kyle. My only question is, is it up-tempo enough? But you know what? He's not around, so I can do whatever I want. Add to playlist. Power pop. Done. Nice. All right. Good tune. Who did you say was drummer on that one? Did you? (laughs) I didn't. This is that era where it's credited as Seraphine, but it's more likely Jeff Percaro or even... um, John Robinson. Those were the ones that Foster was bringing in to replace parts secretively, yeah. uncredited. Yeah. I have my suspicions on that one. It does not sound like Seraphine. <laughs> <laughs> no. It definitely could sound like either one. I'm leaning towards Robinson if we're going to yeah. do conspiracy theories. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Just because there's not a lot of fills, and that was kind of his jam. Right. All right. So I left to be right. So off yep. the map, I'm going to something that's completely off the map. Um, this is an artist called Joe Hurtler in the Rainbow Seekers. Yeah. Um, wow. They're sort of like the adult alternative contemporary. That's the format, I think, is AAC. Stuff that I would listen to. A guy in my 50s that grew up on alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's something, it's, I mean, again, not Yachty, but what's cool about this band. So this is an album 2017 called Pluto, and it features a lot of sax. There's some sort of electronic piano going on there. Uh, Some wire choir uh, bits here and there. Um, The tune is called Find Me. And maybe you get a good taste of all of that stuff if you jump ahead to the last chorus and hear the ending. So here's Find Me by Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers. fun little ditty huh yeah at the end there boy they get everything going on at once and then they, they start adding delays where it's cascading across each other it's well, obviously horns is a big part of that band I mean, you see the band picture on there you, uh, one guy holding the flute another guy holding the tenor sax so the, the horns are a central part of what they're doing yeah and i want to employ uh, sorry i want to applaud any artist of the year 2017 and thereafter that is approaching music that way whether it's Yachty or Modern Yacht or not like this, but it's just, it's cool to hear that still. Yes. And we yes, don't get enough of it. It's a lot more than a beat and a, a MIDI pack dropped. <laughs> <laughs> and four car, with four chords on endless yeah, loop. Yeah, right. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm having trouble talking. Get off of my cloud. Wait, that's no, off my lawn yelling at cloud. Something like that. Hey, hey, you, you, uh, uh, hoy, hoy, puh, puh, loy, loy. Loy. <laughs> 